the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 423. I'm Paul Spain and with me for this episode is Matthew Eames. Welcome along, Matthew. Thank you, Paul, for having me and thank you for joining me here on the Gold Coast. Well, it's uh, a treat actually. It's been very nice to uh, hang out this evening and uh, enjoy bit of time catching up, enjoying some Thai food, and now it's time to podcast. Exactly, exactly right. It's been a nice evening. So, and you chose a, you chose the uh, soft crab, which is uh, an unusual choice, but a bit specific, which is like you've all like I like that. <laughs> ah, it was good. It was good. Got to eat the seafood, you know. We're um, by the sea now. Maybe you can fill listeners in on where you fit into this world of tech. You're a Kiwi who's landed up in this uh, this other other country sure yeah i've been here uh, 10 years now and uh started a bit of project management and worked my way th- through different uh whether it be a big global organization or a big local organization i'm now cio for a company called protech which is a recruitment base but i guess you've been here on the gold coast one of the things i noted was it's such a great place to live and a great place to attract good tech talent and so one of the things we're focused on at the moment is um uh, focus on innovation in the Gold Coast, and we've started a group with uh, tech leaders here, uh, trying to, I guess, change the Gold Coast perception from the party town to a technology town, and trying to uh, uh, work with other techni- technology people here, universities, and creating projects on different technical innovation-based activities, VR or BI right. or blockchain-type stuff with stuff with universities changing the stories that are happening here and hopefully attract some talent excellent excellent well when we get to the end you can let us know how people get in touch with that because we do have a a few uh mostly kiwis that listen in from um from the australian shores so there might be one or one or two on the gold coast that would be interested in that uh but let's let's jump in there's um Fair bit, fair bit to talk about. Uh, f- first up, uh, a story that I, I came across to do with um, artificial intelligence, sort of tuned robotic knees. Now, we, you know, we, we're seeing, I guess, um, you know, various sort of prosthetics that are that are you know very much enabled through uh, modern sensors and miniaturization of of technology. And you know all of these bits and pieces are making you know, robotics more possible. Uh, certainly, the artificial limbs and 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 the like. Um, in New Zealand, a company called uh, Rex uh, Bionics that's uh, you know, created uh, a sort of a, a walker of sorts that people can sort of you know climb into that um, maybe aren't normally able to uh, to walk. And there have been you know varying um, you know products like this that have come into the market. But the big thing around most of them is it's it's a lot of work to actually learn how to use them and then to train them and tune them. Uh, this uh, new AI-tuned robotic uh, knees, uh, knee that's uh, and um, uh, you know leg and, and foot and so on, um, is is all about helping amputees. I guess you could say 
get up and running very quickly. Um, you know, there's not hours and hours of, uh, you know, tuning and, and so on. It's, uh, you know, hook, hook it up and, uh, and, and away you go. And, um, yeah, artificial intelligence is sort of really, you know, coming into play. And, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of data around uh, previous users gets this, this stuff happening. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how the machine learning helps accelerate that process of understanding what the knee's doing. I mean, I was on crutches for two years from a knee injury, so That's I understand fine. completely the pain and rehabilitation process and how long it takes for your muscles to relearn. Even even after a short period of not walking, your muscles need to be retrained. So for a, a robot to already have that pre-programmed movement put into what's – I mean, even just a, from a, a rehabilitation and just getting your leg moving again, mm-hmm. the level of movement and the intricacies involved and that's learning that as it's going and tailoring for the user, fantastic opportunity. I mean, and we do with a lot of uh, – Work returning work or injured work injured workers to the workplace and how we get them into the workplace and the cost of rehabilitation, if that can be accelerated, is a huge marketplace for for that. So it's a really interesting use of that machine learning capability that's mm. not been that's sort of crossing over that. You know, I think that you're seeing a bit of that these days with some of these mega trends that we've talked about as individual siloed mega trends coming together as one and robotics plus AI plus big data Mm. really starts to create some really interesting opportunities that we haven't seen yet and that being that being one of them yeah and I you know the the article that I picked up on was in 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 Gadget and uh, one of the other things that they they called out is uh, you know the, the importance of getting this technology right from the perspective of you know, hey, if if if, if you've got um, you know someone walking around artificial knees and 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 legs, you kind of need that to work reasonably well. We're we're sitting here within um, yeah you know, three or four meters of the water's edge, and uh, yeah, you know, you're relying on uh, something like this, and uh, it keeps walking you in the wrong direction, or you're going to <laughs> able to control it. Uh, you know, that's. Um, you know, you you really are risking life and and limb or life and artificial limb in that sort of uh, situation. I, su- I suppose if the if the tech's not up to uh, up to scratch, so um, yeah, pretty. I mean, pretty pretty cool seeing um, uh, a bunch of innovation going on in this space. Yeah, no, it's uh, and you can think of the opportunities in that space in terms of how it can be applied. But love the fact that it's coming after a return people to work or return people to wellness type. And I think that's where you get the, uh, yeah, get some momentum and the support. Mm. Um, now, another story that I've um, just came across that, um, and this was um, this was last week, is uh, Tonga basically being cut off from the outside world. And in New Zealand, it's certainly something we've talked about. What what w- what would we do as a as a country if? The fiber that connects us to the outside world were were taken out for you know whatever reason. Um, yeah, you hope that that sort of thing wouldn't happen maliciously, but yeah, I've heard certainly heard things in the past to say, yeah, possibly some of the fiber outages that have, that have happened in parts of the world, you know, maybe be malicious from time to time. Um, so yeah, Tonga uh, basically you know found found themselves. Um, you know, dis- disconnected uh, from the twentieth of uh, January, 
and from what I've heard, they're not back up and uh, running running yet. Um, but they were talking sort of, you know, I think a, a week or two basically to get that um, that fibre uh, repaired and uh, and get them going again. So in the in the meantime, um, Pacific Broadband Satellite, who we've spoken to uh, on on the podcast uh, not not too long ago. Uh, have jumped in and um, have been able to supply uh, connectivity, you know, basically for uh, uh, for the country, which is um, it's kind kind of helpful, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of helpful. <laughs> yeah, kind of helpful. I mean, I mean can, well, the the yeah the implications of uh, of not having uh, not having connectivity. Uh, for too long, it's kind of a little bit hard to get your head around. It, you know, you think of p- payment systems. You know, what do you? It would be. You, a, I mean, how can you pay for something if they? I mean, I remember travelling in the old days when credit card. In fact, I remember being on a trip, um, and it must have sort of straddled the the time of when we went from credit card transactions being offline, uh, and they could take. You know, two three months to basically come through, so you could just go and spend as much money as you liked while you're travelling, and then they would sort of you know come come back, and you'd have to pay your bill. Um, and that was how I remembered it happening. And then I went on another trip, and the things had changed, and I wasn't prepped for it, and uh, I blew out my limit because I was like, oh, that's all right. You know, it's, it's it's you know none of these things are being added up. I probably didn't have a high credit card uh, limit at the time, and I got a, got a bit of a shock. What um what technology were they providing this? DR link via so so it's a satellite satellite uh, full satellite co- connection co- connection um, so you know yeah what I what I read about was um, yeah the Tonga cable system is a eight hundred and twenty seven kilometer um, submarine um, cable system uh, funded by Asian Development Bank and and World Bank. Uh, and it had land had landing points, um, yeah, Tonga and 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 Suva. So that's the uh, link up. But you know, unlike uh, bigger economies and and countries, um, you know, the the um, cost of putting in multiple links wasn't pretty pretty yeah, hard pretty to hard uh, d- to justify. justify. And of course, it it shows the benefit that uh, you get out of the satellite link up. Now, I don't know what sort of you know speeds that they were uh, uh, getting, but I you know imagine um, you know especially if they put multiple uh, you know multiple satellite con- stations connections in, um, you know maybe they they will get a a chunk that's enough to kind of really just keep those real basic communications going for that. Um, you know, week or two period until the fibre's fixed, but it's, yeah, well, it's, it's, it sort of scares you a bit. Can you imagine Australia being cut off from the from the outside world? Sorry, no internet, Australia. <laughs> well, it's slow internet, so it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, yes. the the um, yeah, I guess it's like anything you with any business, or you know, we're mapping out different connectivities and we're looking at our diverse paths. And if we don't have them, then what's our DR plan? And if that DR plan comes down to paper based type solutions, and sometimes so be it. And I guess it's something that the government of the world really need to, yeah, you know, nations particularly now need to have in place. And if they don't have in place, you sort of got to ask the question, why not? Because <laughs> it's kind of just standard DR planning that now without connectivity, disasters happen. So, you, yeah, yeah, you got to you got to manage that. Mm. So how do you manage that? I mean, yeah, you've been probably in similar situations where your business you're sorting out something for the business. It's just a simple DR activity that needs to be mapped out. That okay, and we accept that or not, and. Uh, It'll well, be interesting to see how New Zealand went. 
<laughs> what the DR plan is. Yeah, what's New Zealand's disaster recovery plan? <laughs> For no internet um, connectivity. Yeah, someone goes and uh, take, take, takes out the, uh, the the internet, yeah. Need a few satellites. That would, uh, yeah, that would be a mess. You'd probably uh, you'd get a few let, satellites let, and come down yeah. to Australia's speed of internet, probably, so. <laughs> um, now... Another thing on the somewhat communications front is this um, new Bluetooth standard that uh, has been announced, oh, yeah. Bluetooth 5.1. And the, 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 the bit that sort of you know, stood out in what I was uh, reading was that Bluetooth 5.1 adds, adds a couple of yeah, very, very useful pieces to the, you know, what Bluetooth is capable of. One is, you know, I don't know, you know, we've had things like, um, you know, Bluetooth uh, tags and whatnot that you can, say, attach to your key ring or whatever, and, um, you know, you can trigger that so it makes a bit of a beeping sound so you can uh, you can find it. You know, it's got some loose bit of information about where it is, you know, often uh, associated, but really that, that ties back to usually just, your device was in range and so you know it gets tagged as being in a rough vicinity um this new change to to bluetooth means if you're in range uh your phone for instance would be able to tell how far uh it is i think down to a centimeter type level uh how far away a particular item you know bluetooth item is and also the direction and so that's something that we haven't, you know, we haven't really uh, had before from from Bluetooth. Uh, you know, we we we're used to yeah, stuff that comes off satellites, but there's all types of sorts of types of scenarios of indoors and yeah, keys yeah. are somewhere. It's kind of surprising uh, that that hasn't been out already. You know, like you'd kind of think that would be a natural. You know, I remember keys development or uh, you know Bluetooth tagging was years yeah. and years ago, and yeah. that it's taking this long to get to. Oh, now which direction do I look? I'm sure that's a problem that needed solving many years ago. Yeah, yeah, there must, there must. I mean, I'm sure it's. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be useful. I mean, for the keys oh. situation, I guess because. Uh, yeah, people that, that would say have something to attach to their keys. It's you know, it's probably one of those little tile devices, or well, you know, know. Or, or similar. And because you can make those beep, yeah, that's that's usually good enough. But yeah, if it was out of range, or if you didn't want to have to put a speaker in it, you know, an actual little thing on your phone that tells you, oh look, it's you know, seventeen meters in that direction. Um, yeah. Right. So you so. could see a whole pile of mapping sort of stuff coming out around it too in terms of placing different items in different places and measuring different things to different spaces. Yeah. Finding my ear, my earplugs are probably been yeah, quite where, useful. Where did, you, where did you leave those? Yeah, yeah, well, that where, that where, actually where, would, be, that would be useful, you know, because... Everything's going that way. Yeah. Little earbuds are so easy to lose, I've got to say. Um, but it does create another challenge is we've got a new version of the Bluetooth standard. So, hey, if you've bought, say, those little tile devices or, you know, whatever, um, yeah, they're oh, they no, no, no point keeping them for, uh, uh, for too long because you'll, you know, you'll probably want the next version that's got Bluetooth uh, 5.1 in it. I mean, it does, obviously, they're still useful in the same way that they are today, but, uh, yes, the constant, uh, constant journey up. forward with, uh, with new tech, eh? With technology comes change. Mm. Um, now, something that just launched today in New Zealand, uh, there's just, just been coverage around it today, and I, I haven't, um, 
um, got huge uh, det- detail on it, but a company um, that sells meals via an app, MealPal it's called, um, has just, just launched uh, for Auckland and Wellington. They're already in Melbourne and Sydney, London, uh, Paris. There's a whole list of cities maybe, yeah, I think between 10 and 20 cities. Uh, and now New Zealand's being added into it. And you know, I guess this is that sort of uh, you know applying applying technology in in new ways uh, to existing industries that have been around a long time. And I was curious, you know, what what is this startup? What's it what's it all about? And from what I can tell, is you basically go onto their website or their app and you get a subscription for lunches. So you know, there's the Oh, I don't want to, you know, prepare lunch to bring to work, but I need to eat every day. Uh, and so, where MealPal works is it provides, uh, in theory, a low, a lower cost uh, lunch through, uh, you know, tra- traditional, um, you know, fast food restaurants and um, you know eating places around uh, around the city. So. They've apparently signed up in New Zealand a, a hundred um, different you know, restaurants who will uh, who'll be providing the food if you're on a subscription. Um, they talk about the food being um, as much as half the price that it would be normally. So this was a little bit head scratching for me because you think of you know say Uber Eats and the food uh, you know it's you're more paying expensive more for the service um, because you're having it delivered and so on. Well, this you actually get, you still you know get out and about and you go and pick up your food, but you've got this window between uh, I think it's five p.m. the day before um, the meal and ten thirty a.m in which you have to go on and choose which restaurant you want the food from. They will only have one dish on any given day at each restaurant. So from the restaurant's perspective, it's basically like a bulk catering order. Uh, So there's a real efficiency for them. They can do it at a lower price because they might be making 50 or 100 or whatever of a a meal. Um, They know about it before the lunch rush hits so they can get it all prepped and they just have to be able to, uh, you know, facilitate handing over the food and so on in, in, a, in, a, in a timely manner. Of course, it depends what the food is. Some food, um, you know, you, you've got to have it prepared hot and, and, and yep. so on at the time. But, you know, I'm sure there would still be I a lot of prep I guess the vendors would work through what's logistically with, easy for themselves works. or whatever and advertise yeah. accordingly. I mean, that's a really interesting spin on the whole thing, though, isn't it? Because, as you say, most of these services are add-ons and an extra cost to deal with our own inherent. Mm. laziness or whatever <laughs> but that gives you the opportunity for it to be something it sounds like something that's driven from probably somebody's probably within the industry so it sort of knows the logistical challenges and ways to streamline that mm. and if I can bulk mm. make a hundred ham sandwiches and this I can make it cheaper and yeah that's yeah. going to attract people I mean it's certainly 
Well, and that they, um, you know, they list list listed off uh, the Wellington. They've got thirty five restaurants. Now, what I found is I wasn't. Um, are they predominantly lunches or are they dinners or? Uh, well, okay, this is just aimed at lunchtime. Yep. Uh, Monday to Friday. Yep. So some of the franchises they have were Peter Pit, Habitual Fix, yep. uh, Zambrero. Well, I mean, you um, go out at lunchtime, you you'll burn thirteen, fifteen, twenty dollars pretty easily. So, and usually yeah. all of us are eating in a hurry. You know, most of it's got work to get back to, so we just sort of buy what's ever available. So, yeah, if you can streamline that process and make it, I don't know about you, but I, I you know, making lunch the night before is pretty hard for me to do. So, yeah, um, uh, it's pretty tempting, pretty tempting to me. Now, I'm just outside of the CBD. What I couldn't find through the, through the app yet was uh, exactly what are the restaurants and their locations. So, for instance. Um, Zambrero, there's one you know quite close to the office, but I don't know whether that's part of this the scheme or not, uh, right. and some of the other you know things that were uh, that, that were listed. So I basically have to commit hundred dollars to find that out. That's what it looked like to start mm-hmm. with. Now I'm sure there will be more info soon, or there'll be some way of figuring uh, figuring that out. But they seem pretty happy to sign me up uh, without showing off a whole lot of info. So I could sign up and then like, oh, I've got to go and drive or catch an Uber for te- you know five ten minutes to get to a location. Yeah, uh, you'd kind of want them to present the that sort of so, what's available uh, to you. Yeah. But maybe, so maybe that's I, a work I, in progress. I will. Uh, well, well, they're already as I said, sort of ten or twenty cities. So you'd think they've. They've thought this stuff through, but um, I, w- I will get in touch with them. So basically, they've got um, two subscription options in uh, New Zealand. One is 12 meals over, a, I think, a month or a 30-day period. Uh, and that, that's, yeah, 12 meals, and it works out at $8.49 per meal. If you want to commit to pretty much every every lunch for a month, uh, their 20-meal uh, monthly subscription, then that drop, drops the price down to um, just, just under $8.00. Um, so it seems like good bang for buck. Um, I actually heard an interview with the uh, with the founder on um, uh, NBR, which was uh, quite, yeah quite quite interesting. Just get, you know going through some of the uh, insights, and they were asking you know how do you how do you make you know how do how do they as the provider make money because the food's already you know kind of discounted, so that could be a little bit of a challenge and. Um, you know, I think the the expectation sort of was, and this wasn't it wasn't really I didn't hear it really spelt out, but you know, was they they take a sort of a, a, a slim cut, right? You know, however many percent They're making a little from a lot of um, but I think there's another aspect to this. If I know how you know how how life gets, is that you might easily sign up for the twenty meal plan, but there could easily be five meals in a month that you. You know, don't use you, you don't you don't get to use them right for I whatever so. reason. I think it's a slightly and, uh, gym membership <laughs> approach, isn't it? So, <laughs> so uh, it could be a very profitable yeah, business for them. Put it that way. It you could know, be. It could you work pay out. for all these meals. They they know that they can uh, you know buy the meal at around eight dollars, and uh, you know actually yeah they not have to supply. Could, could could work out quite well. Um, but but there you go. Um, and yeah, then there's that scenario. You think of it, and it's eleven a.m. Ah. Oh, Oh, I missed the ten thirty AM cutoff, or yep. you know. So there, there are some some interesting uh, yeah, aspects to it there to make the business work from their perspective. But yep. you know, something as a as a consumer to be a, a bit aware of, a, a, aware of, right? <laughs> the gym, yeah, uh, the gym membership yeah. type approach, I suppose. Yeah. Is cool. <laughs> yeah. 
all, 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 good, all, intentions, all, all, all good intentions at the beginning of the to, year to, to load up your lunches and yeah. use the system. And then you're too busy, so you just yeah. order Uber Eats anyway. Correct, yeah. To deliver it rather than going out yep. for some exercise, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there we go. But that, I thought that was interesting. And you mentioned that here in uh, Australia, on the Uber Eats front, there's been um, something new that's happening. They're doing a bit of a trial between um, yeah, Coles, Coles and- which is a yeah, big supermarket uh, chain here, and Uber Eats, who are testing um, delivery of these sort of, you know, ready-to-eat meals or ready-to-heat uh, meals. Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, I guess another, um, you know, expansion of, of what Uber Eats have, have been doing for uh, for some time. And um, Yeah, it kind of moves into that different, I guess, more accessible, more, I don't know, you know, the Uber Eats and you have to know the restaurant you're getting it from all that sort of stuff Coles is a big brand that everybody knows what you're getting and it sort of moves into that sort of everyday every person accessible kind of Uber Eats platform Mm -hmm. rather than Maybe the cool guy is just getting Uber Eats at the moment from the local cafe. Yeah. So it sort of moves them into that different Very genre. mainstream, isn't it? Yeah. And they get huge promotion as well for Uber Eats brands. Is that the more that they tie up yep. with the McDonald's and the, you know, Coles. And well, a lot of the, um, lot of the Coles yeah, and the Woolworths have been you know, trying to get the home delivery stuff going. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's sort of not taken off for them as much as maybe they had planned so you know they're maybe taking smaller bites at it through an uber eats approach rather than the you know the home shopping process and yep i mean that's happening but maybe just not the legs that they thought they were going to get out of it so they're looking at different avenue streams to their markets increasingly competitive and yeah coles have taken the front foot here on connecting up here and it's Mm, suddenly mm. everybody knows what it's about and as you say it's more mainstream and i think that's the difference now that yeah, and I've been getting that sort of brand mind share is, is so important. Um, yeah, talked um, recently to uh, uh, to someone who was involved in. You know, I guess you you could, and there've been a you know a whole bunch of these, but was effectively a sort of a, a a forerunner to Airbnb. And before Airbnb existed, there were some of these sites around where you could rent. You know rooms and you know uh, various accommodation that was was not in your traditional type of model where it was in somebody's home or a um, um, timeshare and you know and and so on right and um, um, most of those uh, have not you know that really grown that much or they've just been a little local thing but uh, of course you know Airbnb worked so hard to uh, uh, mainstream themselves and have 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 done very well and um, you know Uber you know another uh, you know example of a of a company who have done an incredible job at sort of building their brand internationally and, and often through good partnerships certainly on the Uber Eats side. Well I mean the online purchasing online access Ability, all that sort of stuff, all comes down to the trust of the brand and what you're buying. And you know, if, and you know, the Airbnb have done a good job of tackling that problem of dealing with the trust aspect and have managed to, and that's why they've you know exploded because of that. And I mean, this Uber Eats to a trusted brand rather than cafe I've never heard of as another is an attempt to start to build that trusted. Well, you know, it's already a trusted brand, so I can just go ahead and order with confidence. And a lot of those platforms are sort of working that way first to get that trust working, Mm. and they can, you know, order off the back of that. Yeah, and and some of it's just 
also, you know, you say sort of that um, as a mindset thing, getting people, you know, used to it. You, you mentioned sort of supermarket, um, you know, pick up and, and you know, delivery type uh, options. I had decided, um, my wife and I decided we wanted some things from uh, from Ikea. And uh, it's still, you know, they've announced Ikea in New Zealand, but I think still some, some years off. And uh, so there are a few things that we wanted, but uh, don't re- didn't really relish the thought of having to traipse through Ikea. It's kind of a... It's a, know, it's, a, it's a trap. It's, it's, a, it's a labyrinth. It's, it's a crazy... It's a labyrinth. Cra- yeah. It's a crazy... Once you go in, uh, you never come out. That's yeah, a place to go into. If you can get out of that with a relationship intact, you've done very well. Um, it's just madness. Anyway... Um, just pop so, into Ikea. As so, as uh, <laughs> we went online and, uh, and ordered that way and just went and picked up our... Our order, which was a, a, a much uh, less stressful uh, experience, we'll just you know leave it at, <laughs> leave, leave it at that. <laughs> well, I mean, some of the order delivery stuff, you know, like um, the 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 excess, like the um, you have to pay more for it to be delivered when you want That's it to be right. delivered. You got yeah. to work within their schedules, all that sorts of things. Is a bit of a challenge with some of the shopping stuff, but. Uh, and some of them have got you know got it wrong. I mean, there's a lot of experimentation going on. And I did read some some pieces when I was yeah, googling about IKEA here uh, around deliveries, and there had been some stories in the media about people having been they felt bit really rorted. You know, they ordered under a hundred dollars worth of stuff, and it cost them maybe two hundred on top to get it delivered. Which still worth uh, it. Pro- still worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, pro- but probably surprised them a little bit. Um, and so they seem to be. Being, a, I think, a bit softer on some of that. Yeah. So when I went online, you know, the 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 story was it's twenty dollars to for yep. them to go around and pick everything for you, and for you just to, you know, go and you know grab the trolley with all the stuff. Um, but when we did the order, there was no charge. So um, you know, and I think we're 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 getting you know, expectations are getting changed by the likes of Amazon with free delivery and you know varying models overseas where they they have got traction. Mm. Uh, whereby you know maybe in Australia and New Zealand, um, yeah, we're starting to see brands realise well maybe they've got to pick up pick up that cost in order to get their traction, get that uh, adoption. So well, if you order groceries. Uh, you know, in in New Zealand for for delivery uh, or for pickup, then you know there, there's a pretty good chance it's with Countdown because they've been in that market, uh, you know, for a, for a long time, and now they've got their little um, you know things where you can walk up and collect your collect your order without actually having to go inside the main part of the supermarket and so on. Um, but yeah, to get that that traction, especially now they've got a bit of competition in uh, in New Zealand market. I think Pack and is Save. Is it Amazon that. that's got the walk in, grab, and walk out shops and? Yeah, yeah, they 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 uh, they do. They have some locations in the US where um, you pre-order. Well, they've got they've got their lockers, and then they've got these yeah these other locations where you can walk in, and it's either in a locker or you go to the counter and you and you ask for it, and they've got your order. Uh, ready, and, which is uh, an interesting spin on the whole delivery element. Didn't work, <laughs> so you still go pick it up in your meals place. That you're well, just talking about the, people they are give you the choice, I suppose. Right, yeah. that's what Amazon do. And and actually, I, yeah, I hadn't talked about this on the podcast, but on my last um, trip up a few weeks ago, I was in San Francisco, and I thought I've got a you know Amazon. I've got this crazy thing where you can place an online order and get it delivered in you know two hours is what they listed as. And for me, the time, yeah, you got to. I guess it depends on the the exact time you order it at. What the window is, I think for me, it was going to be 
it was between two and four hours was the delivery or maybe between one and three, I can't remember. Um, but sure enough, yeah, there was, I don't know, 50 or $100 worth of things that I wanted from Amazon and they were all available um, for that, that Amazon fresh style, you know, fast delivery. And uh, yeah, they were delivered to my hotel within within three hours and it didn't, you know, I didn't pay any premium wow. and their prices are already really crazy cheap anyway. Um, but you can see how that builds real loyalty and somebody else comes into the market yep. uh, trying to do that. We're certain, you know, certainly seeing that with uh, Walmart and, and, and others in the U.S. sort of working to, uh, working to uh, compete. Uh, but, of course, if you're already a loyal customer of, of theirs and they're, they're doing a good job of it, uh, much harder for those other brands to, to, get in. Uh, to go in. So, um, yeah. Very, uh, very interesting times as these things keep uh, progressing. Yeah, developing. On. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I want to jump and have a little bit of sort of chat around a couple of news things that, that came through in terms of electric vehicle uh, and autonomous vehicle uh, news. And of course, for those that are that are really interested in this stuff, you should be listening to the New Zealand Electric Vehicle Podcast, which comes out every week. Uh, but just a few headlines that sort of caught caught my eye, and I thought are definitely relevant for um, the New Zealand Tech uh, Podcast audience um, one uh, Aston Martin's first uh, rapid e uh, valid uh, validation uh, prototype now driving under its um, own power and this is a, a vehicle that we had uh, we had heard about before um, but it's uh, yeah it's quite exciting seeing brands like Aston Martin actually get into uh, electric vehicles and you know especially when you you delve into some of the uh, the, the the technicalities and the uh, you know, speed. This one's talking about an 800 uh, volt battery, um, and uh, yeah, you know, you 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 you've got to imagine, um, you know, whatever Aston Martin uh, do in this space is uh, is is probably going to be pretty cool. Yeah, and it's going to look great, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's uh, one of the one of the things that's still been worked on in the EV space is making them look great. I mean, but these big manufacturers and these luxury cars that are coming into the space now bring along a, a different kind of tone to an EV. You mm. Know? Mm. And uh, yeah, the luxury item and the it's it's now not an EV choice, but it's a beautiful car choice that's coming coming alongside and you know with um, working with Audi and so forth before they. Their their investment in the space is is huge, and you know the, the whole uh, fast following type mentality mm, and what they're doing yeah. there, and the technology advances that you know Tesla have pushed ahead with battery side of things, and now that sort of is going to another whole level with these big brands coming on board, mm, mm. and um, yeah, I think that's probably what. In this space, you know, we'll probably in the 2020 and those sorts of things, we'll start to see these kind of cars become a lot more mainstream because of the accessibility, the beautiful nature of it. You know, cars are still an emotional purchase in many ways, and some of these ones are. And oh, that yeah. you get those big brands oh. and an EV. Yeah. That's that's like a complete package now for a lot of people. You start bringing in the Audis and the Austin Martins and the others, that, you know, Volkswagen. You just get these. Now you've got an emotional purchase plus mm. the EV value. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see it take off over the next... I, I think the development that the big brands are putting into this now is really starting to gain legs and mm. it's... it's mm. uh, I think we'll see a few things come out. Yeah, well, one of the key parts of that, of course, is um, having networks of uh, EV chargers around the place 
and uh, headline um, caught my attention this this week um, around the shutting down of um, high-powered EV chargers in the US. So there's a company, uh, Electrify America, that's uh, you know building out all this infrastructure, and um, they they've got these um, high-powered uh, chargers. Um, 150 kilowatt, 350 um, kilowatt um, capable charging sites. Now, um, they've actually had to take most of them offline um, because the supplier of their charging um, cables recognised there was an issue. And I guess, you know, from a safety perspective, when you're dealing with huge amounts <laughs> of power... Uh, an issue's pretty you serious. Don't, you don't want yeah. anyone to be... Uh, um. Yeah, get, getting uh, getting a, a effectively a well a small bolt of lightning, uh, you know, hitting them, or uh, you don't want your vehicle to be uh, electrified all over and not just the batteries, do you? Yeah, no, no. But I mean, uh, I guess those sorts of things will come. I mean, when they started with the petrol cars, there was probably a few issues at those days when they were starting to fill up cars and fires were coming out left, right, centre. So. Boom. Uh, but. I think those sorts of things are going to be learned and adapted and quickly resolved. I don't. Mm. Um, well, there, there's so, you know there's so much juice going through these things that they you know they technically are you know are quite challenging and the, and the cables especially I've heard yeah, um, you know ha- have been a challenge where you know they've got the t- they've got the um, uh, the charger sort of tech worked out. But then it's like, oh well, you know, where do we get the cables and and so on? So there's a whole lot of R and D going in in that space. And um, apparently, in this case, these are, these are liquid cooled cables. Wow. Um, so yeah, there's um, obviously some some challenges there in terms of um, yeah. Well, I mean, the sophistication uh, involved to throw that much energy that quickly. I mean, uh, it's a it's a challenge that they. Mm. Would need a bit of R and D, as you say. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it's exciting to see it advancing, and um, you know that we are starting to see those those higher end, um, uh, you know, charges, you know, rolled out around the place. Um, but it's you know has a has a pretty big impact on those that are building the infrastructure. Mm. Uh, you know, do they do they rip out? charges and replace them with these ones or do they just keep adding and uh and and what are the costs um yeah there's a there's a huge amount of investment that goes into actually rolling these things out um i was reading here in uh here in australia um and of course in new zealand we have ChargeNet who have been building that out and actually they've just, they've just come on board as a sponsor um for our new zealand dv podcast but in australia um one of the bigger players a company called uh charge uh charge fox and um, they just recently raised um, fifteen million and in, in funding to help them uh, go and uh, build out their network. And I noticed that New Zealand was actually listed there as well, not just Australia uh, for them. So I'm not sh- I'm not too sure what sort of uh, yeah, well, uh, role that they're playing uh, within you know with, within New Zealand. But um, yeah, it's a it's a lot of money to go and build these things. It's uh, it's not just plugging in a, a three pin uh, no. uh, plug. This is pretty serious stuff, and you need all the uh, uh, ability to support it and troubleshoot and help people when they've run out of juice and they're having a problem charging in Waikikamukau or wherever they well, That's right. Do. I mean, and, and um, you know, the difference from back in the day when you were first rolling out vehicles and fuel stations is it wasn't the expectation that I can fill up anywhere. 
Whereas, you know, with the electric space, they've got to deal with the customer expectation that I have to be able to fill up wherever I want to be able to fill up or any time and not have to worry about where I go or carry a petrol can with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole lot of different expectations. So to get it right first and do a big bang approach, I mean, I see in Australia you can drive around all of Australia in an electric car. There's charging stations to do that. And that's a pretty good achievement considering the, great. the size of Australia. I mean... In New Zealand, you go for a two-hour drive, and that's long enough. And here, yeah. two-hour drive is what you take to work. So, well, I imagine there would there would be there must be some roads in Australia where you could you could get into a spot of bother if you know. Well, but, I'd imagine yeah, so. There's yeah, a big big old yeah. country to drive through the There's middle. Some pretty pretty <laughs> long long roads, but, uh, but you can, can't just throw another uh, fuel can in the uh, uh, in the boot, can you? No, um, no. But I mean, the as you say, the the that expectation level and that you've got a big bang this thing uh, with infrastructure and get it right. And so those kind of issues coming up in terms of, well, hang on, the, the cable's going to mount in person's hand or something, that's a that's a fairly <laughs> big one. To, you want to get that kind of thing right to throw out across Australia or throw across any country. Um, yep, yep, and, definitely. Uh, you know, I guess I'll be working on those standards that, that are going to be used in that space to mm. govern that sort of thing and... But it all tells us still it's still emerging and still developing. They're still learning. So, yep. And uh, I mean, I guess as the batteries change and as that technology change and what they can handle and how quickly they can fill up, that's also going to push the boundaries of what needs to happen at those infrastructure levels too. Mm. So, well, it's getting. I mean, it's getting pretty good. Uh, you know, the um, certainly the Tesla superchargers. You know, they they do a you know make pretty quick work of of charging a vehicle. Sort of you know comparatively from. Uh, you know, certainly a lot of lot of charges that we're uh, we're f- f- familiar with. Um, now, also, sort of the, loosely within this space, um, you know, Apple. We've heard of them having some involvement in and uh, well, their their project uh, Titan, their autonomous uh, vehicle group, which of course they don't generally. Um, you know, talk about things that uh, they don't have a product to announce, etc. Um, but these things, you know, come out and you know, uh, people move around, and there's reasonable amounts of people. Are, oh, it's a bit noisy in the background there, but uh, such is the uh, nature of recording a podcast outside in uh, public. Hey, eh? yeah. it looks like an electrical vehicle <laughs> which is beeping its horn. <laughs> to be honest, there, Paul. So. Oh well, it fit, 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 fits fits in, fits in topic. Fit, yeah, fits in well, yeah, yeah, fits in topic. Yeah, the the yeah, uh, yeah. what is that? It's, oh, it's a little golf 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 buggy type uh, thing. Yeah, well, so we've got a, yeah, yeah. a number of yeah. electrical vehicles around here, Paul. <laughs> with uh, golf buggies being the number one. Uh, not quite as exciting as as what uh, we not the Austin Martin. What, no, what, it's not the Austin Martin EV vehicle. That's for no, sure. <laughs> no, it's a little little bit little bit disappointing, but uh, never never mind. Um, anyway, they're, they're uh, just about gone, so that's uh, that's pleasing. Um, but with with Project Titan, you know, we've heard about Apple basically investing a lot of money into uh, autonomous vehicles, and uh, you know, I think it was maybe um, last year that they hired um, Doug Field, who had um, you know, I think had previously been with Apple, um, but was involved uh, in Tesla as an engineering uh, vice president to. Uh, uh, to lead that uh, project Titan, but apparently they've uh, they've just dismissed um, something like two hundred 
people from that uh, team. So there's sort of these, they're going through interesting waves because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we heard of them, you know, lay, laying off some people. But, um, yeah, it, it does look as though they're, they're, uh, they're still going. And who knows quite what it will look like, whatever they do on this uh, um, autonomous vehicle front. Um, but, hey, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see you know, companies like Apple involved in whatever the future of transport looks like that they've got uh, they've got some involvement. Yeah, I guess it's a I mean it's a very volatile place to be investing in for any yeah, you know, an unknown and unproven all those sorts of things. So I guess they can have those and you also don't know whether or not, you know, technology advances are helping them make these changes into the way they resource those sorts of solutions or uh, what's going on there, or strategy, strategy changes in terms of what you know, what's emerging down the path in terms of what they need in terms of their resource capabilities to build these things. And mm. um, but it's good to, as you say, it's good to see some strong strength or some big players behind getting this thing going, getting it going. I mean, mm. it's certainly the the opportunities are huge for that if it gets off the ground and where but how that's going to get off the ground is going to need those big guys to get behind it and, and it does need a mix of players too you know we don't just we don't just want the traditional automakers mm-hmm. uh, deciding what the future of, of transport is right we need all sorts of players from the little startups to the you know the, the apples of this world um, you know that that means there's going to be plenty of competition yeah, and, well, transportation. and plenty of innovation transportation right? Changing, you know, and I, and I think you know, as you, you know, you see some of these different layers of transportation availabilities that are going to be coming over the next even just five years mm. that are quite, you mm. know, quite fundamental. You know, the flying taxis, Uber taxis, and whatever else mm. that you're going to have, and autonomous vehicles coming into play, and other electrical vehicles, and what is that? The whole landscape is changing, and in a place like, um, you know, like Australia, where those distances are so large, travel is a real pain, and you know, to get to. Mm. Well, I was thinking about it exactly today with, you know, coming, coming to see you. I was like, oh, this is the sort of distance. It's mostly on a motorway. The technology right now from a you know, number of manufacturers would certainly allow me to, you know, not do the bulk of that yep. driving. You know, yes, I'd need to be behind the wheel, um, you know, but actually an, an adaptive cruise control type system, uh, really can, can can you know handle it well, and yeah move you around with lanes and so on. Um, obviously, there's there are some variability type things, and uh, you know on on the Gold Coast at the moment there are varying sort of road work type things where you've got to go down to slower speeds, but actually still the road is all clearly marked and you know it's not the sort of you know, someone standing on the side of the road halfway in your lane, you know, that's that's digging or anything. I mean, it's quite safe. You could, you know, other than just making sure you deal with the right speed limit, um, you could hand that over to uh, to an AI with with no drama at all. And that that is the area where mostly the technology is actually pretty good. Yeah, right I mean, a, in a motorway situation where it's a relatively controlled environment in terms of what's coming onto the motorway, it's easier for an AI to deal with than home streets where there's kids running out and those sorts of fun, you know, mm. unruly challenges that That's it can't fine. decide between. So yeah. that landscape's going to change easily in the next five years. And, I mean, yeah. that landscape of transportation differences, EV and different Uber-type options and going short or long distances plus then the technology and the generational change happening at the same time in terms of workforce and all those sorts of things you can do remotely now mm. starts to change the landscape of the you know of your where you live and what's available now and where can you live and 
pricing yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah. it will be interesting to see how those transportation plus connectivity options plus a generational change in the next five years in the workforce will start to change the way workers need to work and get around and work together. It, um, I don't know what it will do, but it, mm. it certainly will change. There's all the factors are there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, that's, that's exciting. Um, but it has its challenges too, and so another company that's uh, that's also dealing with uh, with some change in this space is Tesla, who laying off uh, three thousand people, a tenth of their workforce. So, you know, it's not it's not um, uh, just Apple that are uh, you know trying to figure this stuff out. Um, you know, Tesla they certainly have some some serious challenges, and if anyone wants a bit of is very sort of curious about Teslas and wants some um, some entertainment likes watching YouTube, uh, just search for Rich Rebuilds. Now this is this is a, a guy in the US who's um, basically sort of documented his journey with buying up. Um, yeah, he, he heard about Tesla. He had a friend that was working at Tesla. And he sort of caught the, a bit of a bug, I guess, you know, and was like, oh, I really want to, you know, have one of these, but couldn't really afford one. Um, but he came across uh, one that was up for sale or auction uh, that had been written off. And um, basically, he's got the wherewithal to know how to how to repair and uh, an electric vehicles. Obviously, done a, you know a lot of research, but uh, you know, pretty pretty smart guy, very capable. Um, and he's documented his whole journey with with taking these uh, you know damage damaged Teslas and rebuilding them, and all the dramas that he's had with uh, with Tesla, who who basically um, you know you think of a of a of a vehicle from a tech firm like Tesla as being a bit more like buying a piece of software than buying a car and there's a degree to which Tesla still control what it can and can't uh, do um, through their license agreements and through you know how they how they choose to operate which is it's absolutely fascinating and I mean he's got hours and hours worth of uh, you know videos online but his most recent one uh, has been dealing with uh, Tesla's lack of competence in terms of selling second-hand vehicles, uh, which, which in itself is, um, yeah, is a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty interesting journey. But uh, yeah, if you, if you, if you, were, uh, you know, kind of curious a bit about uh, Tesla and uh, so on, he certainly shows up some of the uh, uh, the, the weaker points in um, uh, in the way Tesla does does business. Although he is a fan, and he certainly highlights a, you know a, a lot of a lot of good stuff about the tech and uh, uh, so on as well. But, uh, yeah, fr- frustrations with having a vehicle that, that their system says has been written off. So, no, you can't do, you know, you can't necessarily connect it to the supercharger network or uh, what have you. So, yeah, very, very very interesting. And there are others around the world that have, you know, shared some you know, similar types of things. But um, the way he's documented it is, is brilliant. Some of these videos have got... Yeah, like million plus views, I think, in some cases. So is this the case of what happens to my old mobile phone type situation in terms of it's no longer supported and that doesn't connect anymore and this is where my Tesla's going? Yeah, I mean, it's not quite that bad yet, but it'll be interesting. You know, what if you have a Tesla that you want to keep using for, for 20 years, right? You decide you like it. Well, 
it's a it's a tech product, as you say. It's like your smartphone. You you know, um, suddenly it, it's, it's going to it's probably going to have a limited life in some <laughs> in some form. So we will see. I mean, at the moment they're pretty good with you know software updates and and uh, other bits and pieces. But uh, you know, as, as we see from lots of vendors today, there comes a time where it's just uneconomic to uh, to support older tech right mm. and uh, you know unless someone's going to pay for that how do you how do you deal with how it how do you continue so, to maintain it um, yeah and we, we just I mean we just haven't seen a, a sort of a tech oriented car company that's kind of um, yeah got to that point but you look at traditional car companies they're uh, mostly pretty useless as far as you know software updates and fixes and improvements on uh, you know even a vehicle that's sort of yeah three years old it can be uh, it starts um, to become a pretty problem. hit and miss so uh, yeah <laughs> yeah maintenance of a vehicle is always hard <laughs> yeah um, so look I think we're just about out of time Um there were a couple of other bits uh, I was going to sort of dive into on Australian front. There was uh, one the headline I caught here about a, a Perth millionaire arrested over uh, uh, infamous US text messaging uh, scam was was the headline. Um, basically, you know, people people well, premium texting you know had had its sort of heyday. We don't see much of it now. Um, but it sounds like this particular chap got himself uh, uh, made himself very very rich, lived a pretty impressive uh, lifestyle, and uh, part of what they were doing, and this was used used to be possible with signing people up to uh, uh, premium uh, text uh, subscription services, and, yeah. and services. Um, was you used to be able to actually sign them up without that person signing up. So, you know, they could basically say, oh, this number has signed up, and they just have some list of numbers and say it's signed up, and uh, that person starts getting billed. Yes, and, and they're notoriously just, difficult to stop. It's dodgy, they, they, dodgy, they, they dodgy. They are dodgy, yeah, yeah. they are dodgy. Um, so there, there was, yeah, it's, it's nice nice to know that when these things happen that... Uh, Somebody gets caught. They, they you know, ho- hopefully uh, mostly get to the get to the bottom of it um and then australian mobile plans um aldi which is a a german um headquartered supermarket chain that's in australia uh you know i saw they had a quite an interesting um yeah family mobile mobile plan here that looked and you know in the scheme of things in terms of what we pay in new zealand and and so on looked uh looked like a pretty uh pretty slick sort of uh uh, deal if you had um, basically a family of four, you could sign people, uh, you sign everyone up. Um, works out at twenty dollars a month per uh, per head. Uh, everyone gets ten gigs worth of data in that, and I think unlimited um, calls and 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 texts. Which, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. I I thought so. Obviously, things are reasonably competitive here in the Australian market. Uh, yeah, well, more front. more and more, and um, yeah, Audi's. That's been their play, you know, not just for supermarket type activities, but these low cost items that are great for value for families has been their sell point and mm. been their mm. uh, point of difference in the supermarket chain. 
not just supermarket, but you can go in and buy a washing machine at a great price while you're there or yep, now yep. pick up a mobile plan. So yeah. uh, I think, you know, they're building on, you know, we talked a bit about that trusted brand mm, element. Mm, they're building mm. on the back of that where there's uh, an opportunity to. Yeah, people and see that, them as a place that's good value but good product. I'm a, so I'm a trusted brand. leverage I'm, that. I'm going to get a deal and uh, one of the things I'm looking for a deal on at the moment is my mobile. Mm. So it's easy enough for, okay. if they can do it from a scale perspective and they're you know yep. making it work, then that's uh, certainly a clever play. Mm. But it all comes mm. down to that you know, that trusted brand element. That's which right because they, they, they don't have any mobile network themselves. So they you know they're ba- they're basically uh, you know I think um, they they're reselling uh, tel- you know part of Telstra's network. But obviously from you know Telstra's perspective, it uh, you know makes sense to do that. And this sort of thing is is pretty common around the world. Um, Telstra also have a brand here which, which uh, you know I think they they've licensed maybe licensed the name or however it works um, the Boost Mobile brand, um, which I'm pretty sure I've seen in. The US as well, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's not just here. And I think uh, Telecom, you know, now Spark, maybe used to license the Boost brand in New Zealand some some years ago. Um, but I, I wanted a, just a SIM card while I'm here, in addition to my you know New Zealand one, um, to buy you know to have a, a bit more data to play with. And um, um, I think it was ten dollars. Although I saw it advertised a few days later because they keep changing the plans, they were advertising it for eight dollars, and uh, basically got unlimited text calls and I think thirty-five gigs worth of data. Um, cost ten dollars, so um, you know it's it's um, it just can continue. Continues to. I think that's a kind of a short-term deal. You know, get you onto a plan with them, and then you know they put you up to their their normal prices. But uh, for a tourist or, or someone uh, visiting, it uh, it certainly makes it a lot a lot less painful than it used to be to <laughs> have access to um, data. Uh, data, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's just a competitive market again, mm-hmm. changing. And as I and as I learn more about the behaviours of how consumers consume the stuff, they're changing and looking for those different ways to, to mm. do it differently and mm. um, that's just one I mean it'll be I think that's I mean I think we'd be interested to, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next little while actually to see because you know some of these changes are coming from consumer behaviour changes and and how we're dealing with and how they're learning about how we work with these new ways of consuming and they're learning more about that. And that's going to change. And there's so much data, isn't there, to sort of analyse. You know, what what's the right thing to uh, do? Do we do we, do we uh, you know do we give this crazy ridiculous price that means a customer will come on board, even though they know that's not going to be the ongoing price. Yep. And then you know you, you have to. I guess you know they've got all these data points. They can sort of work out that somebody that comes on on one of those low offers, what the average length of time it is until they. They get around to maybe changing to a competitor who's doing a, a similar type of thing, and how quickly people roll over. And most people don't really want the hassle of porting a number and moving to another network and so on. So, um, you know, the, these these things tend to work pretty good. But yeah, it means they're offering you know crazier and crazier uh, deals to, uh, to hook you, you in. Know, ho- hook you in. We see it in New Zealand with um, you know the. Uh, you know, broadband, you know, home broadband, you know, plans. I think there's been times where you sign up for 12 months and they'll give you, you know, three months for, for free. Um, so you're effectively getting 25% off for uh, you know, a year. And I'm not sure that there's sort of, well, I'm sure there's not the margin in it for them to be profitable at that level at all. That's, that's loss making that first year. 
but it you know all comes down to uh, what the stats say that you know how long they'll be able to keep somebody for into their equation and depending on what else the market does whether the person stays that time yeah. longer shorter and I'm, I'm sure they're just measuring it uh, I think they're the on, I think they're onto us but uh, <laughs> it's always the same with all those things there's a devil in the detail and you got to think it through and it uh, it's uh, we're easy to sign up to stuff aren't we so keeping an eye on what we're signing up to the old Jimmy Bishop yes yes Oh, it's been really, uh, really good to hang out, Matt. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add before we uh, before we finish up? Other than, if, is there any details for those who are interested in, um, for any of our, our listeners that are um, here on the Gold Coast or in the vicinity around Innovate GC? Well, how, do, how do people get in, get involved in that? Have you got any sort of web presence, Facebook or something? Yeah, I mean, I guess link, to, I mean, LinkedIn is one of the, in touch with you, the way. Um, the uh, Innovate with an 8. So Innovate the GC is, is what we're tagged as and if you look for that you'll you'll find you'll find us um we're just uh at the moment it's just a a community-based type activity Mm. we're um, well linked up with the acs here the australian computer society as well Mm. who uh, are a governing body uh trying to develop more of a professionalism in terms of what uh we do in the it industry and uh also working with the government in terms of some of the standards and policies around other you know things like data and data integrity mm. and privacy. So those are sorts of the networks that we're connected with. Great, that's excellent. Well, thanks very much for joining the show, and um, we will be back again next week from a slightly uh, different and more usual location. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thanks, Matthew. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.